Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's episode, Mitch Light of The Athletic joins us. We will talk Vanderbilt baseball. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt takes two out of three in a baseball series with Mississippi State. Uh, the winning pitchers on Sunday, Chris McElvain, who goes five and a third in relief and gives up one run. And on Friday, Kumar Rocker goes the distance in Vandy's 6-2 win. Commodores do not have a midweek game. They'll go to Florida over next weekend in a series that starts on Friday. Mitch appears on our guest line, which is presented by my friends Scott and Missy Tannen at Bowling Branch. They are Vanderbilt graduates and Vanderbilt boosters, and they make some amazing sheets. You have heard me talk about Bowling Branch sheets for years. I have slept on Bowling Branch sheets for about seven years now. I will not go back. They are made with 100% organic rain-fed cotton. They are hands down the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept on. They get softer with every washing. Don't just take my word for it. Try Bowling Branch sheets today. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Enter the promo code Vandy. That gets you $50 off your first set of sheets. You get 30 days to try them for free, at the end of which period you can send them back. But trust me, you won't want to. Try Bowling Branch sheets today, and you can thank me later. Mitch Light joins me on a Monday afternoon. Mitch, of course, does great work over at The Athletic. He was at all three games of the Vanderbilt Baseball Series this weekend. I was at two and watched about 98% of the other one on TV. Mitch, pretty good weekend for the Commodores, I, I've got to say. Yeah, it was a uh, anticipated series. I thought a pretty well-played series. Um, two obviously very good teams. And, you know, anytime you take two of three um, from a team that good, or anytime in the SEC you take two of three, it's a good thing. But a team that good, especially the way that things went on Sunday um, in the first inning with Patrick Riley able to only get one out. Uh, yeah, a very good weekend. And, and we will probably get to this later. And I know fans know this, but sometimes when you're watching a game, it's hard to process or think this way. You know, I was talking to my son coming home from maybe the game Saturday or something after Vanderbilt loss. I was like, just think like, and, and you might know more about this. It, it, in a normal year, I know they seed the tournament. You know, they do the S-curve, especially with the seeds, 1 through 16. I don't know. They might try and make things a little bit more geographic, make sense geographically if they used to. But if Vanderbilt retains, a, you know, its spot or is a top four seed, the teams that they're playing in these, you know, this three-week stretch here are all going to be, on paper, so much better than a team they'd face to get to the Super Regionals, uh, to get to the College World Series. So, you, you, you know... It was you could say it was a struggle to beat Tennessee two or three. It was a struggle to beat Mississippi State. But again, those teams are better than the teams they're going to be facing to get to home. Now there's sometimes where you get a team gets hot, like that Mississippi State team in 2018. Both Vanderbilt and Mississippi State were better than their seeds. But um, you know my point. It's just like 
and, and it's like a Tim Corbin thing, and it's a coaching cliche. They all say it, but like you, you, sometimes in the, in the midst of the SEC, it, you can forget just how good all these teams are. Well, I said this earlier, and this is probably overstating it, but I think it might be harder to win in Hoover than it might be to win in Omaha in terms of taking the whole tournament home because you can have some randomness in there where you could see an SEC team or two getting beat and, and you see a Stony Brook or a Kent State or somebody in Omaha instead of, say, Mississippi State, which would be an easier draw, obviously. Now, you know, does it always happen that way? Of course not. But my point is, you know, in the SEC tournament, you know you're going to face another SEC team. Um, and if, if you're facing a team that, that made it to Hoover, it's a pretty good team for sure. So, Yeah, well, to your point, Chris, like just think two years ago uh, when Vanderbilt won it, now the other side of the bracket, you know, Vanderbilt's side was pretty good with Louisville and Mississippi State. But the one that Michigan won was like Florida State. Uh, I think Arkansas was there. But that to, to get to the, you know, not not taking away from Michigan, but I think it's more difficult to get to the SEC championship game in a normal year than it was for Michigan's draw in on that side of the College World Series in 2019. Yeah, that said, Michigan had to go through UCLA to start the tournament. Yeah, I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. but to your point, once they yes. got to Omaha. Well, and I think that's one thing to take a sidebar that made 19 so special is that they didn't really have an easy path at any point. I think they ended up with the number one or number two RPI strength of schedule and, and lost, what was it, 12, 14 games, whatever it was. I think it was 12. It was just crazy. I mean, they, they caught, like you said, they caught the the good part of the bracket in Omaha in terms of tough teams. And you know, they, they beat, what, Louisville, uh, beat Mississippi State. It, it just was there was nothing in there. And, and of course, winning the SEC tournament, beating Ole Miss, uh, they beat Auburn in there, which went to the College World Series. It just, you go back and look at what they did, and it's all the more impressive once you realize who they did it against. I mean, you might say the one break they caught was catching Duke in a Super Regional, but even there, Duke had Bryce Jarvis, who wound up being a first-round arm the next year. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And, I mean, again, that's what, that's, you know, any championship is impressive and special, whatever word you want to use, um, especially, you know, college basketball. You know, when, when a team gets to the Elite Eight of the Final Four, no one looks back and says, oh, they beat a 10 seed, a 9 seed, and a 14 seed. You know, maybe the rival fans do. But when you, when you hang the banner, no one really – it doesn't matter which teams you beat, but it's clear that Vanderbilt uh, beat some outstanding teams in 19. Well, they have now beaten, in my mind, probably the toughest three teams they'll play all year in weekend series. That being um, Tennessee, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and South State. Carolina. And in fact, I, I right now I, I did a ranking at the Southeastern 14. I went Arkansas one, Vanderbilt two, and then I went those three teams in that order. Yeah, and they're not going to play Arkansas, so right. You know, at, but at Florida and at Ole Miss, two teams that have probably been a little disappointing, disappointing of late. But yeah, I, no, I I totally agree. And and uh, yeah, to to win uh, again, it's. You know, you 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 prefer. I mean, a perfect world, you'd want to sweep, but you you're Vanderbilt. You prefer that. You know, you, you keep winning on Friday and Saturday night, and those two guys dominate and don't give up any runs. You know, an unsustainable performance. But in another way, it's it's good for this team to find ways to win on Sunday in Knoxville when they give up two solo home runs in the first, and 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 on Sunday when the starting pitcher doesn't get out of the first inning. That that kind of tells you they can win a lot of different ways. Yeah. Before we go to the series. I'm just looking at their resume. It's just so impressive. They've got two or three wins at Tennessee, number four in the RPI, 
two or three against Mississippi State, six in the RPI, two and three against South Carolina, or two of three against South Carolina, 10 in the RPI, two and oh against Wright State, 12 in the RPI. Now that's flukish. And then they take two or three at Oklahoma State, which is 16th in the RPI. I just don't know if you start adding up top wins. Arkansas can compete with that. Other than that, I don't know that anybody else can. Yeah, so I mean, right now, they would have to be considered the consensus number two national seed, right? I would think so. I mean, the other one that might have an argument is Tennessee. I want to look them up right now as we speak, because Tennessee got like, I think it played Charlotte, which is ranked, and it's got some good wins in there, too. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at UT's. It's not as impressive as as Vanderbilt. They lost the Charlotte game, which I'd forgotten, um, and then lost two of four to Indiana State. So, no, it's those two teams. Yeah, that's and I think someone uh, I, don't, I forgot I saw some tweet I think it was Baseball America wrote something to the effect of like it looks like it's Vanderbilt in Arkansas right now but it's wide open for the other you know teams whatever X amount of teams could could fill the other six spots in Omaha as far as the projections they were making. Yeah, and the phrase lock is used a lot for tournaments and stuff like that and hosting. I don't like to use that until you can look at the schedule and say they could lose every other game remaining. Uh, to get to wherever you're trying to go. And literally, I think Vanderbilt's got seven games between now and when the 16 regional sites are picked. I literally think they might be able to lose all seven of those games and still get one of those. Now, the tournament committee might look at it if they did that and say, well, wait a minute, this team's taking a slide and maybe, you know, who knows, if they got to that point, maybe a major injury or something was involved. But yeah, I mean, it, it's not, but I'm just I'm just making my point that that's how impressive what they have piled up has been. Yes, no, I agree. Back before, you know, early in the Tim Corbin era when, you know, the teams were obviously very good, but the goal, the first goal was just to make it to Hoover when it wasn't, it was difficult. That was only eight of 12 teams, and there were some good teams that didn't make it. It seemed like 15 was that magic number, like no team with 15 conference wins could get to Hoover. I mean, we would not get to Hoover. So it's just sort of like at this point in the season, you just started counting. Okay, they've got 11 wins. You know, can you find four more wins in the next 12 games or something like that? But then obviously they've 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 t- taken several steps beyond that in the past, you know, five, six, seven years where, um, you know, it's you're not really just trying to get to 15. You're trying to get in that, that, that low 20 range and compete for a conference championship. Yeah, I mean, and literally they could – they're thirteen to five in the league. If they go fifteen and fifteen, they're going to get in. So they could go right two and ten and still make the NCAA tournament. I mean, once you get to a point, this is where once you've compiled an elite resume, it's just really hard to start dropping much, barring disaster. And that's that's where they are. So let's talk about the series itself. I thought they played pretty well. Now the the, the Saturday game was, I thought, one of their worst efforts of the year. I didn't think they swung the bat very well. Uh, that had a lot to do with Will Bednar and, and Landon Sims. But I thought the way they responded on Sunday, having not played well Saturday night, knowing your pitching situation is up in the air because Ethan Smith wasn't available again, uh, and then Patrick Riley coming out and not finding the strike zone. Boy, that, that's two weeks in a row where you you lose the Saturday game Lighters look vulnerable, and you're kind of worried about them because you feel like the th- game three is where you can get them. But two weeks in a row, they've come up aces. Yeah, and you know, coaches like to win ways, win games differently. Um, 
And I think if you ask Tim Corbin, you know, that that was just the perfect type of win. Down 4 nothing, really w- weren't swinging the bats well early in the game, coming off a disappointing performance the night before. The other team in that dugout, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. Uh, just to come from four down, chip away uh, the way they did, get the clutch hit, you know, two obvious, very clutch hits. You know, C.J. Rodriguez kind of got into 4-2, but then obviously the home run and then um, – Enrique Bradfield's double and then to get good performance from McIlwain and then you know I just you can't say enough about Nick Maldonado and just how effective he has been and how almost unhittable I think what's his batting average against is about 112 or something like that which is incredible well it's 091 in league play in 16 innings that's pretty good yeah I mean it's about the same in all games but yeah, I want to ask you about Rodriguez. Have you have you come around to where I was a week ago on him when we debated the topic of who would you like to see up in a clutch at bat right now? And he was the guy that I I picked hands down. I'm just curious if you're you're seeing what I'm seeing now. Well, I'll take the guy with the three run home run still. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you you'll take the guy with the three thirteen on base against the guy with the four sixty two. I'll take the guy the with league. the three-run home run against Mississippi State. Yeah, all right. He's not backing <laughs> down, ladies and gentlemen. Results, results, baby. Um, no, obviously, uh, Rodriguez has been – he hit the ball hard. He's hit some hard foul balls. That, he had a foul home run in that game down the left field line that was really – Oh, my goodness. That was crushed. That was an absolute shot. And his parents, his family, I think, was sitting – at least either it was his family or his four people with Rodriguez shirts on. Which uh, or they're just big fans, so uh, they were sitting near me. Um, I always get a kick out of watching, you know, parents, uh, the families of players when when they do well. So yeah, that was a, a clutch hit. Yeah, I mean, C.J. Rodriguez has been obviously very, very good in recent weeks. For bonus points, do you remember what he did later in that at bat? Um, well, that wasn't the one where he got the single, was it? That was it. The- was the one where I think one or two pitches later he poked a single to right field. <laughs> After okay, pulling yeah, a home so run foul, yeah, yeah, got, yeah, because he got fooled a little bit, but he, you know, you know, stayed stayed back and got the bat out and against the shift and just, in fact, that was a, I forgot who was on second there, but live, I was sitting behind home plate, I the whoever was on second got a late jump, did not get a good read on the situation, kind of did not, you know, there was no one near where the ball was hit, um, and then I was kind of surprised, surprised Corp sent him, but there was a terrible throw home, and um, you know. This is, I don't know about the, the the book on Mississippi State's outfield arms, but there was a couple plays over the weekend, I think, where I thought there was going to be some close plays at the plate, and they just the ball just died as it got into the infield. Yeah, I thought that was a really impressive team, but there were some some things there to spot. I think that was one. I don't think the bottom of their order is great, but that's the case with most teams. So, Yeah, here's my uh, unofficial, I mean, not unofficial, unexpert uh, view of Mississippi State. I had good seats on Friday. You know, some of their better hitters got some decent swings against um, Rocker, obviously, uh, the top of the lineup, and the, you know, start the game. But some of the, and I think you see this with a lot of teams, the weaker hitters at the bottom of the lineup have abs- had absolutely no chance against Rocker. Yeah, I saw that too. And, and man, the top of the order, it felt like um, Rowdy Jordan was going to get hit every time up. I mean, if you in Mississippi State, you can't ask for more. Three games on the road against that against Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt's pitching that you score a run in every game and kind of do it different ways. I just, yeah, Jordan was, you know, 
<laughs> he was very good, obviously. Double a home run and then a walk. I think he walked to start the game. So, uh, um, yeah, he's he's a guy that uh, Vanderbilt fans have seen in the past, and he's only a junior eligibility-wise, so in theory you could see him again. They've really got to get Dominic Keegan going. I mean, they're doing it without him, but if they can get his bat going, which I think is very possible, my goodness, they're scary. Yeah. Um, now, he hit the one home run in Knoxville, right? But um, other than that, you know, hasn't hit the ball great. Parker Nolan's numbers in SEC play aren't great, but he's, he's hit some clutch. Uh, he had some clutch hits, obviously, the home run in Knoxville, the big one against Georgia, which gave him some some breathing room. Um on the, the 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 second game that win there, you know it's the the nature of baseball is you know you're never going to have your entire lineup clicking at the same time. There's going to be ebbs and flows there, but um, yeah, I mean you'd like to see Dom start hitting the ball a little bit more consistently. But again, it's the, the numbers are you know I, I looked this up and you know in, in SEC play Vanderbilt's average is 274, which Ole Miss is hitting 306 in SEC play, which is 28 points higher than any other team and but giving up about that too <laughs> yes Vanderbilt is second in the league and with hitting 274 uh there's a bunch of teams bunch up bunch up for runs they have 110 runs that looks like it's about fourth or fifth but their Vanderbilt's ERA is is first in in, in SEC games only um so you know Ole Miss is 5.01 ERA so Clearly one of the best pitching staffs and one of the best lineups in the league. The best pitching staff statistically and the second best lineup from an average standpoint. Yeah, and they're leading the SEC in scoring margin in all games and in league games too, which I think says something. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking back on Keegan. I think he had about a two-to-one walk-to-strikeout ratio before he got hurt, a granted lesser competition. He struck out 27 times in the SEC and only walked five. And he just... Doesn't I know he's a gifted hitter and I really like him as a player, but he just has not looked like the same guy since he came back. Yeah, you know, like you said, he's capable. Could get hot here, or could just this could be the type of hitter he's going to be the rest of the year. You know, I, I, obviously you don't know. Um, again, there's been stretches where Enrique Bradfield hasn't looked good for two or three games, and then he's got some clutch hits, and Carter Young struck out a bunch, and then he gets those hits. So it's obviously the cyclical nature of the the game. How about Chris McIlvain on Sunday? Yeah, he he was good. He was good. Not surprising. You know, he pitched well in, in uh, Knoxville, came in in a big spot. Uh, got two outs, obviously, to get out of the, the, the first and pitches with an edge, pitches with emotion. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he there's there a lot of reasons they won that game. The big hits, the clutch hits and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, if if McIlvain gives up a single and takes some time to get settled in, that game might have gotten out, it might have gotten out of hand there. So extremely impressive performance for him and, you know, for the for the bullpen going forward with the injury situation. I don't want to forget about this. And it was kind of a low pressure spot. But I thought Nelson Berkwich looked really good in his one inning. Saturday night. Yeah, Berkwich, with that delivery, it's really hard to see the ball coming out of his arm. Yeah, because he has, he, I think he pitched two games before he, he pitched an inning at Missouri, maybe. But, uh, you know, they are between seeing Donye Evans for a little bit more and Berkwich. They're obviously, it's, a lot of it's because of injuries and stuff, but they're, they're, they're at least giving some guys some uh, some innings that if they get thrust into something later on, it won't be their first time in a in, a, in an SEC game or you know against a good opponent or a regional or something like that. 
Well, and I think on that vein, I think they can also get a good inning out of Hunter Owen. Now, I thought the second inning he was much less effective, but I thought the first inning he he pitched, I thought his fastball was really good. He was sitting, what, I think 94, 95, big lefty like that. Now, I think that what happened was with them knowing, I think at the time, that Ethan Smith was not going to be available on Sunday, that was one of those, well, wait, we've got to have McIlvain, we've got to have Maldonado, um, if we're going to win on Sunday, because at that point they were down three or four runs at least. That's probably one of those trying to maximize what you can get on Sunday. And, and maybe in another spot, Owen comes out after an inning. But I thought the first inning he threw was a pretty good one. Yeah, I totally agree. Lost some velocity. And that note, I mean, how, how surprised? It seemed like everyone was surprised that Mississippi State it went with Sims. Um with the what with the five run lead or whatever it was, and I you know I guess Lamonis just felt like we got a cha- we got a really good chance to win a game here. We're gonna we're gonna do all we can to win the game, and um you know I don't know if it would have made a difference if they would have brought him in in the in the fourth or the fifth inning. Maybe they would have brought him in in the fifth inning or whenever that Vanderbilt scored a bunch of its runs in the sixth inning on Sunday if he was fresh. But uh, I, I think if the roles were reversed, there'd be a lot. You know, I'm sure I'm sure some Mississippi State fans were questioning why they went to him in that game. This season of the podcast presented to you by Jody Jones, DDS. He is a former Commodore football player and a Vanderbilt booster. Jody has the best dental practice around for cosmetic dentistry. You can check him out at 55 Music Square East, downtown Nashville. Jody serves athletes, music stars, artists, all kinds of people. He gives you his famous Hollywood smile. Go visit Jody today. His offices are basically a spy-like atmosphere. I've been there. Uh, the place is amazing. Go check him out. Tell him you heard about him on the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him thank you for making this season possible. Well, I was questioning why they went to him. Yeah. And I thought maybe they use him to get out of a jam and then he wasn't that sharp. Uh, you know, Because you think maybe they, they pitch him for five or six pitches and then try to bring him back. Well, when he wasn't sharp and got hit – and then the game got close. At that point, they left him in. But State's got a lot of arms. I was very surprised that they went to Sims in that spot, too. Speaking of which, I would have loved to have known, and maybe I should have asked, what the plan was with Thomas Schultz. Because I'm, I'm thinking, um, if I'm Tim, like I said, when they used Owen in that spot down several runs and then brought him out for a second inning, I'm thinking what he's thinking at that point, especially after they threw Berkwich, uh, who's a guy they haven't used much, was, hey, we may need Schultz on Sunday for a couple of innings. And then, lo and behold, McIlvain throws uh, five and a third, and, and then Ber- or then Maldonado's just money going through. But with no midweek game this week, I wonder what their plan was for him. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think it was probably... To, to hold him for Sunday, you just you just don't know. You can't. I mean, you, two things. You don't. You're not counting on um, Riley, obviously not getting out of the first, but you're also you, you're not counting on McIlvain to be so sharp for so long. So you just you know you you want as many arms as possible. And you know coaches think differently than media and fans. Where we might see a four run five run deficit. Not you know obviously we do because most of us in that stadium saw. If you watch that game, you would say why would Mississippi State go to its best pitcher its best, uh, at this point? So that's a case where, you know, one coach thought differently than almost everyone else in there. And 
uh, he, he got him the win there. So, yeah, I, I agree. You know, Schultz, is, he hasn't been great on his Sunday starts, obviously. Um, but he's a guy that can definitely give Vanderbilt a quality start in the postseason if they need it or some good innings in, out of the bullpen. You know, he's not far from a sure thing, but no one, no one would be surprised if that happened. Well, I think Schultz is a guy that's effective for two or three innings. To me, he's a one-time-around-the-order guy, and then the second time is where he has seemed to lose it. So I think that's still got a lot of value for them. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. Let's go to the mailbag. That is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Door fan says, when will we see Ethan Smith pitch again? What is the status of Miles Garrett? Corbin seemed to reference Garrett being, quote, lost as well as Smith. That was in his comments about Lebokey. Well, I, I will answer with a little bit of knowledge here. I think we see Smith next weekend. I think they would have liked to have gotten him in this weekend, but Vanderbilt with its rules um, about COVID and stuff and, and, and then the problem being compounded with conditioning he was not available this weekend. I thought he would be, but he wasn't. Uh, the Miles Garrett thing, I've completely missed. So maybe you heard something on that. Um, no, I didn't. I, I didn't know. I was going to let you answer that question because I didn't know anything. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the, the, the deal with Ethan Smith is. Um, my daughter had to, as a Vanderbilt student, maybe it's different for athletes. I don't know. She had to quarantine twice uh, officially through Vanderbilt, and it was the second time was only – seven or 10 days. It wasn't like 14 days or anything like that. So um, I don't know. I'm just, just from personal experience. That's all I know. Ann Arbor door says with the immediate transfer rules, are we now expecting player tampering will happen more frequently with no repercussions from the NCA? Do you see the NCA modifying the rule in any way? Um, feeling is that Dylan DeSue was tampered with. I, I don't know. If that's true or not true, I would say that the the fact that Texas popped up before and after uh, he hit the transfer portal uh, was probably telling. But what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, nothing's going to come of it, but I think the timing, too. He doesn't, you know, all accounts were that he was going to come back and he's relatively happy and like Stackhouse and all that. And then there's a coaching change at Texas. And then... I'm so like it wasn't like it happened immediately after the season when Chaka Smart was still there. The fact that it happened like a full month later after a coaching change that, you know, but there's very, very, very difficult to enforce that. Um, and, and yes, I mean, just it's going on a lot in college basketball. I mean, I'm not going to give specific examples, but there's there's at schools that it's happened uh, a lot, too. And it is the nature of the immediate transfer now. Uh, Georgia was just victimized if that's the right word by it. uh wheeler their their fine point guard um is transferring and a lot of these kids are going to leave because you don't have to sit out a year and you know as as a fan of college basketball i don't want to sound like you know get off my lawn but as a fan of college basketball i don't like it i get why they're allowed to do it with the 
the money involved and the salaries these coaches are making and stuff for the to, to let's say these guys can't transfer and try can't try and better their situation or find something else that they want to do. I, I get that, but it's it's not good for the sport when you're going to have a, you know, what do you you know, eighty percent of college college basketball teams are going to have probably forty percent of their roster or more turnover year over year. I've never seen anything like this. Well, because the, there's a new rule. Because yeah. there's never been anything like this. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just there's there's nothing we can do about it. We can sit here and complain about it, but it's just you know, it it's it's the new you know people use the term the wild west and whatever you want to say. It's you know, Team X, Kentucky needs a point guard. They're gonna they're gonna let it be known that they they they're after a point guard in the off season. You know, a specific year or if or if you know they need a need a big man or something like that. It's just, it, but it can happen. It can happen different ways too. You know, Vanderbilt could benefit a team like Vanderbilt can benefit getting a, a kid, someone to transfer up too. So it's just, uh, again, we, we don't have to like it. Uh, no one asked us, but that's just the way it is. I was talking with somebody else who's involved in, in college basketball recruiting media. I will leave him nameless. Um, and we were talking about a a certain um, a certain team that has a certain site that is very fan friendly, um, I, I guess as a way to put it. Very uh, you you might use the word homerish, and uh, there there was a person tweeting from that site's Twitter account lots this year that so and so sure would look nice in. Such and such team's colors uh, happened to be the, <laughs> the the colors of the team he was covering. Uh, there were there were a few tweets like that, which um, which I think calls into question at times um, when you have a cozy relationship with a coach. I, I, I that I, I've been very cryptic with that, but it, I think you know what I'm getting at here. Yes, certain reporter who knows an assistant coach. Assistant coach says, "Man, we'd love to have that guy next year." And that guy tweets out an hour later, "So and so would look good in that uniform." Yes, that is exactly. You, you said it in fewer words, but um, yeah, not naming names, but you could probably figure it out. Let's see, Mister Vandy asks, "Who do you guys think should be the third weekend starter?" Uh, I mean, I guess the easy answer right now is McIlvain. I think I'd like to see Ethan Smith. Maybe if he can uh, pitch you know, get some innings in at Florida, get his stamina up. Uh, like you said, I think he'd be a really good answer down the stretch. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there's some, there's some options there, no doubt about it. And, you know, whether or not they, they try to establish a true th- number three starter or just kind of go to a, a, an opener, you know, sort of like, I don't know if that's been the plan, but sort of like how Patrick Riley had been the last, the previous two weeks going no more than four innings, just maybe pitching two or three innings. Uh, and then just going bullpen by committee after that. I would like to get Smith in that role as well, and I think he's a guy that, to me, I could see him getting stretched out and giving them five and six innings. In fact, I could see him being a guy that, um, you know, by, by the end of the year is going six and striking out ten and giving up one or two runs. I think the upside for him is pretty high. I want to see maybe a third pitch out of him. I think he was being groomed as a reliever. So that might factor in. I mean, McIlvain and Maldonado are tempting. And McIlvain at least answered the question about durability yesterday. But I also kind of like knowing I've got a guy like that in reserve. I don't think that he's overpowering. In fact, I think he could do fine is the three 
but he, he seems to have done well in his role. And at Maldonado, I really like, because like you bring him into a game right now, and it, it seems like it's over when he comes True, in. Got, I think he's almost too valuable in his current role. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in other words, you he might win you, he win you two games a weekend. Yeah. I mean, you might jump somebody six, nothing in the first inning. Right. And, and if Maldonado pitches like an ace, um, you've sort of wasted him. If you've got a high leverage opportunity later in the weekend, and you really need him. Uh, I don't know if that's the best explanation, but I think you and I are thinking the same thing. I, I just like having that security blanket and you saw it with state and Sims. I know he didn't have the best of, of outings on Saturday night, but he and Kevin cops at Arkansas is another guy. I think that Maldonado, uh, he's not as overpowering as those guys, but he's in that territory of when you put him in the game, um, you can just about turn off the TV and go about your business. No wonder that it's one. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. Again, I think there's just, as much as I've over the past, I guess, almost two decades now, I just think that having a versatile reliever, not necessarily your prototypical closer, but the guy who can give you two innings on a Friday and three on a Sunday is just is invaluable. I mean, it's just because you just, especially on a Sunday, because so few teams are totally set with a three man rotation. You just need, you love that flexibility. Well, and the other thing you have with him, let's say that you're locked into a two one game in the sixth and rocker or lighters at 110 pitches you can now use him in that spot to to win a game probably uh and now that you've got McIlvain who can throw those innings and you throw Schultz in there I think you can breathe a little bit easier on Sunday too with, with some options I just think that their pitching's in better shape than people know yeah and, and hopefully Garrett's back soon you know like you said we don't know um what the deal is there but hopefully Garrett is back and I mean and again, there's we mentioned him earlier. Do, do you necessarily trust him in the big spot yet? Probably not because we haven't seen him. But there, there's there's good teams out there that would love to have a Nelson Berkwich or a, even a Donye Evans thrown out of the bullpen too. Oh that, yeah, that, yeah. That that Vanderbilt can go to if need be. And again, Hunter Owen, a guy that I could yeah. see, and they barely burned Hugh Fisher, right? And I know yeah. he's erratic, but my goodness, when he's on, uh, you can forget about it. Right. There, there hasn't been many spots where they've in a close game where they've needed an out against the lefty. That's, you know, I think we probably would have seen him with more appearances. There just haven't been that many, that many spots like that. Mitch, we covered a lot of ground. Any parting thoughts before we end the show today? Uh, not really. Um, I think, you know, co covered a lot of, a lot, a lot of good baseball stuff. So, uh, no, I, I think we, like I always say, we covered it all. We, we always do. Well, it's a fun time of year. Huge series with the Gators coming up. We'll talk about that on an episode or two of the podcast coming up. Mitch, tell folks where they can find your work at The Athletic, or uh, maybe not your work, uh, yes. but the work of your writers, and, of course, follow you on Twitter. Yeah, it's at Athlon Mitch. And today, uh, Ari Wasserman, our national recruiting writer, did a story with uh, Barton Simmons, uh, just sort of like, you know, Rex Road had done some stuff on more on the Barton Simmons and Clark Lee relationship, but Ari, a national recruiting guy, kind of went from the approach of how does someone who ranked players for 15 years, you know, now that it's in the other side of the other side of the the, the fence, you know, how, how does he go about it? And Ari did a good job with that. So that's on the site today. All right. Thanks a bunch, Mitch. All right. Take care, Chris. He's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We've got more episodes coming later this week.